All right. Hey, can I just say right off the bat this morning that um, it is just a privilege to, uh, to pastor uh, this church. You guys really make it easy to be pastor this church. Thank you so much. Um, you guys are great. I'm excited about all the things that God is doing in Watford City and the surrounding region and what he continues to do. Um, this place is full, guys. We, uh, we just built this building. I mean, this is fantastic. God is moving in a powerful way. And if you don't believe that, just look around or, you know, stretch your arms like this. And uh, you'll know right away. You'll just be like, man, that, that's fantastic. So I just want to encourage, one of, the, one of the key components that we desire at this church is to, to grow in our faith in a continual basis so that we can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit both uh, through the Word of God and through the sensitivity that when God speaks to our hearts. And the reason for that is not so that we could accomplish something within the four walls on a Sunday morning, but it would be that we would have a lasting impact on those people around us as we continue to move throughout this region. Because God has a great plan and a purpose for every person in this room. And your purpose may be connected to your job, uh, connected to the circles of influence and spheres of influence that you have. But I'm just excited how God is using this body throughout our community and region. And I just want to continue to say to you guys, keep it up. You're doing a good job. Keep it up. Would you pray with me this morning as we look to God's word? Heavenly Father, we just love you today, God. And Lord, all the things that we would want to, uh, we would want to accomplish in our own strength and in our own mind this morning, God, we ask that you would wipe those things away. And today, in this moment, that we would accomplish the things that you would want to accomplish. God, your word says that apart from you, we can accomplish nothing. But God, with you, um, nothing is impossible. And so God, this morning, we ask that you would move in a powerful way that our hearts would be sensitive to what you would be saying to us, and that we would clearly hear your direction and your voice for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, as we're looking, uh, to, we're finishing up our summer series. Every summer here at Wofford City Assembly of God, we go through a book of the Bible verse by verse so that we can't skip anything or anything like that. And we force ourselves to go through uh, to try and bring greater biblical literacy uh, because in America right now, uh, we are becoming, even within the four walls of the church, very biblically illiterate. So our goal is to bring biblical literacy, force ourselves to deal with the difficult topics by going verse by verse. And it's something that's been a wonderful, uh, a wonderful journey this summer through the book of Hebrews. We're going to finish up our series this morning on the book of Hebrews, finishing up Hebrews chapter 7. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 7 this morning, we'll open that uh, for, for later in just a minute. I'm going to share a few things uh, prior to that. Last week, uh, Pastor Chad gave a great illustration, not last week, two weeks ago, Pastor Chad gave a great illustration about how he, as a young boy, had a small model of an engine for a car. And, and that model was a representation of the real thing. And as we've been looking through the book of Hebrews, it's been talking about how the Old Testament law was actually a representation of a better thing to come, which was Jesus Christ, the great high priest, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So this morning, I want to start up, uh, I have this board here, and is this board positioned okay? Everybody, is that going to work for you? No? 
I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll just see. If, if we run into problems, I'll, I'll kind of move back and forth. But I want to draw a picture this morning to kind of illustrate how the Old Testament uh, was a representation of um, what was to come. Guys, when uh, in the Garden of Eden, mankind was here and God was very close to us. Uh, but something happened. Mankind sinned before God, and this is God. And it created a great expanse which made man sad. That expanse was called sin. Sin, God is a holy God and he can only, uh, he cannot stand to be within the, within the uh, common place of sin. He can't do it. God is holy. And there is a, a great expanse that was created in that moment for mankind. This is problematic. If you're joining us uh, via online and you're listening to the audio, I've just drawn a cliff on the whiteboard with a, a man standing on the cliff and then a great expanse and another cliff in which God is, is uh, there. And there is a great expanse which is called sin. The unfortunate thing the Bible tells us that if we stay on this side until we breathe our last breath, that we will actually experience death and ultimately eternity in hell. That's the bad news. The good news is if mankind can somehow get to this side and have a right relationship with God, then he can spend eternity, etern, whoops. (laughs) If I just would have went with it, you would have never known. Eternity in heaven. Which probably, you know, all of us, the reality of it is, all of us would say, you know, that's what I want. I want to spend eternity in heaven for sure. I want to spend eternity with God. And you know what? Blaise Pascal, uh, Blaise Pascal said that inside every person is a God-shaped vacuum. All of us desire to be on this side of the cliff. Every single person in this room, every single person that ever existed has a God-shaped desire to be on this side of the cliff. So what happened was, in the Old Testament, they created a series of rules and regulations to follow in order to connect themselves to God. So it was almost like they built a bridge. So they took all of these laws, and they, and they seamed them together... And, and when they accomplished those laws, it was really a works-based thing. When they accomplished all of those laws, they could be in the presence of God. And when they would make an error or a mistake or they would sin, then the high priest would offer a sacrifice in order to cover over their sin so that this relationship could continue to be repaired. So that, that's where we're at. That's the picture uh, of where we're at. So what I want us to do here this morning is that if we're looking at this relationship type thing with God, and we're over here right now, I want us to look at a few of these things. In the Old Testament law, there is uh, 613 different specific laws that people would have to attain to build the bridge. Yikes. Most of us are familiar with how many? Ten, right? Everybody thought, ten, I can do that. 613, good luck. But anyways, um, when we're looking at this, this is the problem. So let's, let's go with the famous ten. Let's, let's cut, in fact, let's cut down to just five and see how well we do. Okay, so one of the, one of the we'll start with an easy one. Is there anyone in this room that has fulfilled the ten, one of the ten commandments of honoring your father and your mother? 
for your entire life since you were born until this moment. If you have broken that commandment today, would you be so honest as to raise your hand? Okay, great. We'll talk about lying for those that put your hand (laughs) down. Next. So our bridge is broken, right? That's one. So let's talk about bearing false witness. Now, I'm not talking about in court necessarily, but we're talking about lying. Has everyone in the room lied? If you have lied and broken that commandment of bearing false witness to your neighbor, uh, would you raise your hand if you have ever lied before? Okay, lied. Let's uh, keep your hand up. If you haven't raised your hand yet, how many have ever told a half-truth, a white lie, lied about your weight, height, or age on any paperwork? Okay. All right, you can put your hands down. All right. Let's go a little bit deeper. We're not proud of this. But how many have ever stolen something? Taken something that's not yours? Let's raise our hands right now. How many have ever stolen? Okay, keep your hands up. A pen, paper clip, 10 cents. Didn't return the incorrect change at the restaurant. Borrowed something that you knew you would never return. <laughs> Jacob, by the way, if you're here, I have your pliers and I will give them back. Okay? <laughs> Um, thanks, bro. Appreciate that. We are not going to raise our hands for this one. Okay? So, repeat after me. I will not raise my hand. Okay. Adultery. Oh, that's a little bit. Yikes, you know. We'd sit there and say, well, how many people have committed adultery? That's, uh... That's one of the areas that, that talks about, we, we'll wipe one off here for, for the one prior that we just talked about, um, stealing. But adultery, we think about, well, I've never, I've, never, um, I've never broken my marriage vow with someone else in a sexual way or anything like that. But, you know, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, it's up on our screen here, uh, Jesus explained very clearly, he said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. So without raising hands or anything like that to divulge any form of transparency of information that would be found only in our heart, I believe that this goes for both male and female, either way. And so when we look at that, we might say to ourselves, we were really honest, you know, there's probably a time in my life when, when my purity or my motives were not proper within the context of a marriage relationship. And so we would have to remove that block of the bridge. Let's talk about another one that's a little bit uncomfortable. Most of us in the room would probably say, well, I've never murdered someone. You know, that's, that's beyond what's something that I would do. But yet, in 1 John 3.15, it says, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. They don't have this within them. If you hate your brother or your sister, you hate a neighbor, you hate a person to the point where you even think about, you know, hurting them in some capacity. Whoa, that's pretty, pretty intense. So as we look at, at this picture of the broken bridge, 
We think to ourselves, well, you know what? I've done a pretty good job. Two weeks ago, Pastor Chad was talking about how um, there was a line that you guys used to show how good you were. Anyone remember that? Raise your hand if you remember that. We, we had a line similarly on here. Let's just turn it, uh, rather than vertically, let's turn it horizontally. So how far do you get on the bridge? How good are you? 613. Chick, 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 chick. Where do you... Do. See, here's the thing, though. Uh, even if you do 612, and you're, and you're just flirting with perfection. And I know some of you, I can see the smugness on your face. You're there. <laughs> you do 612, I have bad news for you. Because in James 2.10, it says, For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. Whoop. Nothing. No bridge. No nothing. So that basically puts everyone on the face of the planet in the same boat. It puts us in the boat of this. In Romans 3.23 it says, All have sinned and done what? Fallen short. No matter how hard you jump, no matter how hard you try, every person on the planet has fallen short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, of the perfectness of God, of the holiness of God. And unfortunately, that sin creates a great expanse that no one can ever cover. No one can ever build the bridge. They can never get there. So that's what we're talking about here. And and so many times the old covenant... What we have to understand is the Old Covenant or the Old Testament laws, they cause us to fail or fall short. But in Romans 7, 7, Paul, the apostle, says something really good about the the Old Testament law. In Romans 7, 7, he says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. So he looked at it as a positive thing. I wouldn't have known that I needed help if I didn't understand this concept. If If the law didn't tell me that I was stuck that I was broken, that I could never get there, that I wasn't good enough. So he looks at the law as a positive thing. The law shows us where we have failed, which leads us to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. So let's open our Bibles together. That will continue, we'll continue our beautiful picture here in just a moment. In Hebrews seven twenty-two, it says this in verse 22, because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. I don't know how many people in the room have put up bond for someone else who has been in jail in order for them to get out. But this Greek word guaranteed is much like our American understanding of what bonding is. What this guarantee means that someone, um, you are a guarantor that someone would come to trial in our American culture. What this is talking about is Jesus is the guarantor that this new covenant is better than the old covenant. In Exodus chapter 24, Moses uh, takes the book of the law, like he would take a book of the law, but it was probably a scroll, and he would begin to read, and he read to the people in Exodus chapter 24, the book of the law, and as he reads it to the people in Exodus 24, 7, the people respond by saying this, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. 
So it's as if I'm reading this in front of you and you guys say, all of the law of the Lord is good and we will listen to it, we will obey it with all of our heart. All the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And that was the old covenant. We will do it. We'll be obedient to it. And then William Barclay speaks about this event. He's a commentator. He says, The Old Testament covenant was based upon obedience to the law. And the agreement could be kept only or open only while the priest continued to make sacrifices every time the law was broken. Jesus was the surety of the new and better covenant, a new kind of relationship between mankind and God. The difference is this. The old covenant was based on law and justice and obedience, and the new covenant was based upon love and the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The old covenant was based on human achievement, while the new covenant is based on God's love for us. In verses 23 and 24 of Hebrews chapter 7, it goes on to say this. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. This is pretty simple. There were generations of priests that would come and go through death, and uh, they continued to do their job generation after generation. But there was Jesus. The, he was greater because he lived the perfect, sinless life. He offered himself as the sacrifice mankind needed. And then he not only died for us, but he rose from the grave and continues interceding on our behalf as the great and eternal high priest. The reason why he is greater is because he lives forever. Verses 20, verse 25 is our key verse for this morning, if we look at that together. Verse 25 says, Therefore he, speaking of Jesus, therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. You see, guys, what happened here was the great expanse of sin was, was connected through the cross of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus. Jesus built the bridge between mankind and God. The bridge that none of us were good enough to fulfill. None of us were, were good enough to, to build that bridge. It's interesting that the Latin word for priest is pontifex. And, the, and that Latin word means bridge builder. Jesus is our great high priest. He is our great bridge builder. Isn't that interesting? So we see that this scripture verse says here that, that Christ is able once and forever. Jesus has the power, the authority, the ability to save completely and forever those who come to God through him. Listen, no matter what your shortcomings, no matter the amount of sin, no matter how much you have made a wreck of your own personal life and all of the things that, that you could possibly do in your life, you sit there and go, Sheldon, no matter what, I could never be accepted by God. I could never be good enough. I could never uh, uh, um, come to that standard. I could never be that kind of person. Listen, guys, I want you to understand it's really not about what you can do. We already determined that we've all fallen short. We can't do it. It's the fact that Jesus Christ can. That's what it's about. But for anyone that might doubt in their mind right now that you say, you know what? I have made such a wreck of my life. I could never fix it. 
I want to show you this 15-second video. I want you to try and grasp this. Where'd you find it? We found it right there, just down the bit. That's very good. We just took it, but one of the wheels fell off. So Daddy fixed it. Daddy's clever, Daddy, isn't he? He is. He can fix anything. If you missed that, the audio was a little blurry, but it says, my daddy can fix it. He can fix anything. You know, as I was preparing for this message today, that, that video clip didn't really fit. It was kind of like, that, that's really odd, but somehow in my mind, it was, it was like the Holy Spirit said and spoke to my heart and said, Sheldon, you have got to somehow prove to anyone in the room that if you feel like you have made such a wreck and a disaster of your life that it could never be fixed, that there is someone who can fix it. My daddy can fix it. Jesus can fix it. Okay, I'm not saying that if you become a Christian today that your life automatically is perfect and then everything is great and and all of a sudden the job you lost this last week, you go back to work tomorrow and they give it back to you. You know, I'm just saying that, that the fact that you won't have to make those decisions alone anymore. It's the fact that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you when you surrender your life to him fully and wholly. So here's the thing. The Bible says that Jesus Christ saves, in some translations it says he saves to the uttermost. He saves completely. Absolutely those that would come to God through him. Ching. Those that would come to God through him. The Bible says that Jesus lives his life to intercede on our behalf. What does that mean? He is intervening on behalf of, of the believers. And, and, and so many times I always thought to myself, man, I, I, um, I, I failed, I sinned, I've, I've come short again. And even as a Christian, we do this quite often. We fall short. But you know what, guys? We fall short, we fall short, we fall short. But it's not about what we do. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ has done it. It's completed. And and in 1 John 2, 1, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. God wants us to live a life that is glorifying and honoring to him. But if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is the advocate, the one intervening, working on our behalf for those who are his children in order to provide forgiveness and continual access to the presence of God. Jesus Christ is the better high priest because his intercession is unending, it's complete, it's providing access to God's presence. Once, one time, only need it. We don't need to bring a lamb each time that we've sinned. Jesus has completed the work on the cross forever. And Jesus right now is actively interceding on your behalf. Guys, remember the story, Jesus on the cross? And Jesus is on the cross, and, and he is in agony and pain. And he is in agony and pain not because he has done anything wrong, but actually because he is doing it in our place. We are the ones that should have been receiving the agony and pain. 
And Jesus, in the last moments of his life, feeling that the end is near, pulled himself up on that cross, creating great excruciating pain both in his feet and in his arms. He pulled himself up to gain enough breath in his lungs to say three of the most powerful words from the moment that he said mama until the day he was on the cross. There were no three words that were more powerful than that instance. As Jesus pulled himself up on the cross to gain enough breath, he said this in his dying breath. It is finished. It is finished. It's done. It's completed. All of the trying, all of the effort, all of the the, the trying to be good enough and try to hit is finished. It's done. I've completed the work that God sent me here for. I've completed the work for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not be stuck on this side, but will have everlasting life. Jesus said in John 5, 24, if anyone hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. In fact, the end of that verse says he has crossed over from death to life. He has crossed over from death to life. It's amazing. God is so good. Let's continue on in our verses. We just have three verses left. Verse 26 says, He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He is set apart from sinners. and He's been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Jesus is the better high priest because he is the high priest we need. There are different qualifications that he meets here. It says that he is holy. Uh, This is the goodness and the purity in God's sight that is necessary in order to be the bridge. The Greek word blameless, um, this Greek word means someone that is so cleansed of evil that only good remains. Well, this isn't necessarily that definition doesn't describe Jesus because Jesus didn't need to be purified. Jesus was pure and holy from the very beginning. He was right from the start, completely pure It says, unstained and perfect. Jesus, who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us. Set apart, or in the uh, New American Standard, it says, separated from sinners. This speaks that Jesus lived a sinless life that was different than anyone else. But but, um, it it talks about in Hebrews chapter 4 that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus lived a, a complete and full life, was tempted continuously throughout his life, just like we are. But the Bible says that he was without sin, but he understands our weaknesses. Jesus is right now in the highest place of honor. It says, highest place of honor in verse 26 is the last. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it says this. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed him the name which is above every name. That, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Jesus is the perfect high priest that has provided the way for sinful mankind to come to God. If you're going to catch one thing, catch this. Jesus is the great high priest that has provided the way for sinful man to come to God. That's what he has done. Verse 27, it says this. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once 
for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sin. The key word in this verse here is once. Jesus did it once. The Old Testament priesthood was a continual thing, day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month after month. If he didn't do his job, the people could not be in the presence of God. It was impossible. But Jesus, it says, he finished it once. It is finished. Verse 28. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever, both once and forever. You see, guys, since every person on the planet has breathed their first breath, they have had a desire to be on this side of the equation. I believe every person in this room, I believe every person in Watford City and in the surrounding region, every person in the Bakken, every person in North Dakota, expand it out as far as you want. Every person that, that's on the face of the planet somehow has an emptiness inside of their heart today if they do not know God in a personal way and they want to be on this side of the equation. The problem is none of us can get there ourselves. That's the bad news. But the good news is, is that that's why Jesus came. He came to die on the cross. Now, what part do I play in the equation, you might ask? Maybe you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've never, uh, uh, um, I, I've never come to the place of understanding that I could be right with God, that I could have a relationship that's open and real and true and vibrant. How do I do that? You know what? It's very simple. There's really one requirement. You got to walk the bridge. You got to walk the bridge. It's already there for you. And you know what? Some people might say, you know what, Pastor Sheldon, you're making it way too easy. I wasn't the one that made it easy. Jesus was the one that made it easy. Okay? So you can't blame me on this one. I had nothing to do with it. I'm just the messenger. Okay? So this is what I'd ask of you this morning. You know, this morning, if, if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ that's real and vibrant and new, and Jesus has created this bridge and an opportunity for you to come into the presence of God, to walk away from eternity in hell, and, and to spend eternity with Jesus Christ, it's really very simple. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Really, walking the bridge is just simply saying, I admit that I'm sinful and I need Jesus. That's what it is. So this morning, I'm going to do something very different. I know we'd never do that at this church, would we? I want to give some people an opportunity to walk the bridge this morning. But I want to do it in a I'm going to do it in a different way than I've ever done it before. With every head up and every eye looking around, I would ask in just a moment, and I'll give you the, the response time, just a moment, I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone in this room that you say, I would like to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And by getting up from your seat, you're admitting your sin and your guilt, and you're walking up to the front here. I just ask that you would line up in the front area here. 
And what we're going to do is I'm going to close the service in prayer at that moment when, when you guys are standing here. And I'm going to step down and I'm going to talk and pray with one person. And I have some friends of mine that are ready to come and pray with you today. If you would like to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are trapped on this side of the equation and you say in your heart of hearts, I don't want to be there. I want to have a relationship with God and I want it to start today. And I have good news for you. We all admitted in this room that we're all in the same boat. We're all in the need of the same bridge. So this is the exciting part. As you get up from your seat today and you come forward in this moment, you feel like God is tugging at your heart and you want to respond in that way and you want to pray with someone to accept Jesus Christ. If you get up today, and I want you to know that there's not going to be one person in this room that's going to look at you funny. In fact, they're probably going to be cheering you on and in fact, I, what I'd like to, this is going to be the craziest altar call anyone's ever, when people begin to respond, I want to give you the right and the opportunity to begin to clap and cheer them on this morning, that they are making the step to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. How's that sound today? Really different, right? So here we go. If you're in this room this morning and you want to walk the bridge, you want to admit that you're a sinner, like everyone else in the room has already admitted, we've already raised our hand. But if you want to publicly declare today, I want to serve Jesus Christ, I want to surrender my life, I want to move across the bridge, I ask if you would like to, on the count of three, get up out of your seat. You're not going to be alone this morning, I promise you. Okay? On the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Get up right now. Okay? You got one. Anyone else in the room? Yeah. Is there anyone else in the room? Just come, just come, okay? Come right now, yeah, you bet, absolutely. Anyone else, come on. I know that was the weirdest altar call we've ever done, for sure. But is there even one more person this morning that you would say, you know what, Pastor Sheldon, I am not sure, and I want to be sure today and certain. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You know what, if you're embarrassed or something, and embarrassed of clapping, I can make them stop, okay? <laughs> so if you want to, is there even one more person that you would slide up here this morning? Thanks, buddy. I'm going to wait five more seconds because this is the most important decision that anyone will make in their entire existence. So please, if I could beg and plead with you, if I could stand this close to your nose this morning and I could look deep into your eyes with tears in my eyes, I would beg of you that you'd say, you know what, today is the day to make the decision to serve Jesus Christ. Is there one more person in this room this morning that you would say, yes, I want to accept Jesus Christ? And I'm not going to pull teeth. I'll wait five seconds. We're going to close in prayer. Ready? Is there even one more?
All right. Let's pray, guys. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity today. And God, I know that my friends in this moment, God, you're so proud of them. You're so happy and excited. The Bible says that in this moment that the angels rejoice in heaven way more excitedly than even we did today. There is a party going on right now. And God, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you that you have done the work that you love each person in this room with a desperate love. I thank you for our friends that have come forward in this moment. I pray, God, that you administer to them as they have a friend come beside them and begin to talk to them and pray for them. Why don't our friends just slip out from their seat right now and uh, come and talk to some of these people here this morning. But God, we do thank you for what you're doing and what you long to do in all of our hearts and lives. God, we're excited about what you are, are touching in people's hearts today, God. And so, Lord, from this place, we ask that an anointing and a powerful move of God would continue to sweep throughout our community and, and into our, our people's lives, Lord, that you would use our congregation to spread the light and love of Jesus Christ with every action and every word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.